Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. I am excited to speak with Nicholas Zeisler today. He is a customer experience executive and a principal at Zeisler Consulting. He helps companies become customer-centric. He's also the author of a new book titled, We're Doing CX Wrong and How to Get It Right. Welcome, Nicholas. How are you? Darshan, I am well. Thank you. How are you doing? Excellent. I'd like to start with your journey uh, when you decided to join the Air Force and the pivotal moments you've had along the way that brought you to the doorstep of helping companies become customer-centric. Well, that's going way back. <laughs> I was expecting, I was expecting, hey, how'd you get into CX? And tell us about that. Let's go all the way back there. All right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which what, is cool. the deep dives here, you know? We got to Yeah, no dives. kidding. I could go, I could, we'll go, we'll go old school here. And it truly is old school. Uh, yeah, I, I joined the Air Force right out of college. Uh, always wanted to serve, wanted to be in the military. Um, I had uh, uh, what, what I like to call it a, a Monty Python view of what what the military might be like, which was all of the uh, officers are standing up on top of the hill, you know, in their tent, drinking their tea and all of the, the grunts, the enlisted soldiers are down in the trenches, you know, getting slaughtered and, and, and living in squalor. And I uh, said, I would make a much better officer because everybody said, oh, you finished college and then you enlisted. And so why did you do that? I said, oh, well, I'll make a better officer if I know what it's like to be enlisted. And I imagine that to some degree in the Army and the Marine Corps and maybe even the Navy, that is the case. But in the Air Force, it's it's really all the same. So I, I enlisted. I was a Russian linguist actually for, for a few years uh, as an enlisted man. And then I went to officer training school. And then I started the journey that actually did lead to, to CX. I uh, became an analyst in uh, operations research, uh, specifically went to grad school in the Air Force for operations research, which is like industrial engineering and its improvement and its, its, its optimization, applied statistics, that sort of thing. And uh, that's kind of where I got into to the, the, the Six Sigma and the Lean and so forth that I carried on into my career after I left active duty. I'm still a reservist. It's been almost 30 years. It's hard to believe for me, 28 years now. Um, but uh, it, that background led me to process improvement, process engineering in, in the civilian world. And then fast forward several iterations of Zeisler Consulting, several iterations of working internally in, in, in big corporate America. And I was approached uh, several years ago to uh, to apply. You talk about an aha moment, actually, Darshan. I'll tell you what. Uh, I was approached to apply my process engineering, my Lean Six Sigma black belt to customer experience. And if you're familiar with with Lean Six Sigma and and, and process engineering and, and and continuous process improvement, all these things, one of the things that are that is a, a perennial struggle for those of us in that profession. Well, for, for some of us in this profession is to convince business leaders that the idea behind process improvement and process engineering 
is to make your systems and make your processes more efficient and eliminate redundancy and get rid of, of waste and, and errors and so forth. A lot of organizations will take that newfound efficiency and say, great, now we can lay a whole bunch of people off, <laughs> right? And that's, that's, a, that's a great way to get to do it exactly only once <laughs> because people like diving under tables anymore when you say, hey, let's do process improvement after that. So it's, it's, a, it's a constant struggle. It had been a constant struggle to, to convince potential clients and convince people even internally that that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed to lay people off after this. So when I was approached uh, to, to apply these skills and this talent to actually improving customers' experiences, for me, it was a revelation. That was an aha moment. It's like, oh, so your purpose, I said to this potential and future employer, your purpose was actually to use this skill to improve your customers' experiences, not necessarily just to improve your bottom line. And he's, yeah, that's why we want to bring you on board. So I became a customer experience. Yeah. Right. And improving the customer experience and bottom line, that's probably more correlated than, uh, than not, no? Oh yeah, yeah. Then well, see, and this is the this is the beauty of it too, because that kind of imbued in me this philosophy, this approach when it comes to customer experience to say you're not supposed to do customer experience, do CX, uh, so that you can improve your bottom line. And a lot of people are like, what? <laughs> Wait a second. That's why we're doing customer experience to improve sales and you know to increase revenue. It's like, well, you know, that'll probably happen, but it'll probably happen as a secondary carry on effect because you'll make your customers happier. If you're more customer centric, they'll come back, they'll spend more. Ideally, they'll bring their friends with them. Uh, but if that's the reason you're doing it, well, then you're not really doing it because you're customer centric. You're doing it because you're trying to hit the bottom line. And look, as I like to say, we're all in the business of business to make money. So I don't you know, I don't, I don't begrudge that approach. And quite frankly, uh, as I like to say, you can throw a rock out a window and hit a CX consultant who will promise you tremendous returns if you do CX their way, obviously. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and that's the result of CX. Like, good. You know, I, I wish all of you tremendous success in that, but there are a couple of problems with that. One is statistical, which if you like, we can get into that. But the other is philosophical, which is don't turn around then if you're the CEO and tell all of your employees and your entire team, hey, customers are the number one thing to us. If I, as a consultant, had to stand in front of you and convince you to do it based on returns that you'll get on the investment for doing CX. I mean, I understand you don't want to be, you know, trite and just throw money away at things because CX does cost money. It costs energy, it costs resources, it costs effort. But if you're doing it so that you'll make more money in your business, then there's a little bit of a disconnect there when you turn around and then say, hey, Customers are important. Well, yeah, they're important. They're not the most important thing, though, because you just kind of admitted they're a means to an end. What are three misperceptions uh, or traps that companies fall into when trying to improve CX? Well, that's the first thing, is that a, an improvement in your CX can be seen directly uh, correlational, and for that matter, certainly not a, a causation based on, quote unquote, doing CX. That's, that's absolute number one is that, hey, if we go out and hire a CX consultant, if we go out and, and hire a, a chief customer officer, then we're going to get an ROI on that investment. 
That's the first first thing. And, and you know, the heads of my fellow CX consultants are exploding now. He's like, don't blow up our spot. But it's like, it's it's really the case. And again, I, I, full disclosure, I'm actually a statistics professor at the Air Force Academy. And that's my civil, uh, that's my military reserve job. Um, so I could go chapter and verse and all these white papers and all these studies that are out there that, that, that purport to suggest that there's this great return on investment that every, you know, that the companies that quote unquote do CX have, have much better returns. They have much better revenue. They have much greater sales. Like, okay, there are all sorts of flaws in the and the methods and the designs of those, those experiments and so forth that, that, that put the lie to that. But I won't get too much into that unless you'd like to. But the, but the point is that, <laughs> but the point is that if you're going into that, first of all, you're setting yourself up for a potential embarrassment. Secondly, you're setting yourself up to become a hypocrite, like I was you know, referring to before. And, and third, if, if you go into it that way and it doesn't turn into tremendous return, well, good luck ever trying it again. All right, we'll try CX. Well, let's move on to the next shiny object. But um, that's that, that's one for sure. Uh, another one is that it, is that it's all about uh, uh, surveys, and it's all about voice of the customer. I know that you know you, you were talking with 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 Kristen Luck about about uh, customer insights. By the way. Congratulations, Darshan, on, on on your new podcast. It's fantastic. Oh, I actually listened to your to your premiere with with Kristen, and I was so impressed by her. So I'm probably your first ever guest who's actually had a chance to listen. Pull back the curtain, everybody who listens to podcasts. You do a whole bunch of these before you start releasing. So I don't know what number in line I am, but I'm probably the first that's had an opportunity uh, to to listen. She's brilliant, and 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 further disclosure: if anybody, you know, I've got I've got a long way to go to to to. <laughs> to offer as much insight as she had. But anyway, I know you're talking to her a lot about, about you know, listening to customers and, 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 and voice of the customer and insights from, from, your voice, uh, uh, from the voice of the customer. So many organizations that I, that I work with, I work with a lot of startups and I work with a lot of, of uh, tech and, and, and early stage companies. They think that CX is simply surveys, Right. We hired someone to do CX and what we hired someone to do CX means is we're collecting surveys, right? Or, or perhaps more broadly that we're at least listening to our customers. And that's actually a, a third misconception I think a lot of people have. And that is that surveys are all that there is in, in voice of the customer. When quite frankly, sometimes that can be the, the least useful and most expensive for you. Uh, but, 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 but first of all, uh, I have a good friend in the CX uh universe by the name of Nate Brown. And he always says that, that uh, voice of the customer VOC is not the end of your CX journey. It's the beginning. And I absolutely agree. It's so important to do something with the information that you get from your, from your customer insights program. If all you're doing is listening to your customer, if all you're doing is collecting that in those insights and then it's like, like putting them up on a chart or, or determining where you are compared to where you were last quarter or last month or last year. That's great. That's good. It's insightful. But if you're not doing something with it, then it's, uh, then it's a complete waste of your efforts, right? The entire purpose for your VOC program should be to identify things for you to do, not where you are, but what you should be doing. And it actually changes a lot about your perspective when you think about it that way. If all you're doing is just pulling out a number and seeing where you are and putting it up on a chart, then NPS is awesome because it doesn't mean anything anyway. 
right? I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I'm becoming a, a, a bigger uh, um, opponent of, of NPS the more, the more I work with it. And that's because, not because there's anything intrinsically necessarily wrong with it. I think that there, I think that it's, it's, it's preposterous for a lot of reasons, but not, but not necessarily to be dismissed out of hand. The thing is that it's just become a totem. It's just become uh, something that people do who who aren't necessarily all that serious about CX. Now you can be serious about CX and do NPS if it makes sense for your strategy. But I think a lot of people just cling to it the same way that a lot of people used to cling to CSAT. A lot of people are starting to cling to customer effort score, which is actually a little bit closer depending on, on, uh, the purpose in your strategy and what your brand promise is. But, a lot of people will just fall back on surveys and just say, well, we'll just ask this question about whether or not customers are going to, you know, uh, uh, recommend us to their, to their peers and their friends and their, and their colleagues and their family and so forth. It's like, okay, well, that's great if all you want is just a number, right? But um, I got actually an interesting source, uh, an ironic source is, is actually my priest used the term ask holes. And that's, that's somebody who asks questions <laughs> without necessarily any sort of interest or curiosity to learn or to gain knowledge or gain insights, let alone do something with it. And so I think there are a lot of ask holes in CX these days. There's like, oh, just throw up a survey and ask, you know, if they, if they recommend, it's like, no, 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 no. So I actually, uh, created my own my own new version which i'm sure hopefully someday and and will will catch on and then i really hope someday becomes debunked and says that's that's bs and let's not do that anymore because it's become cliche just like csat was just like nps is that someday my score which is what i call the brand alignment score um more tied to your actual strategy the reason you do CX should be, again, let's go back to that first one. It shouldn't be for ROI. It shouldn't be for sales. It shouldn't be for revenue. It should be to eliminate the gap that may exist between your customer's experiences and your brand promise. So that's different for every company. It's very specific. If you're a, a, a discount brand or a value brand, your purpose is to save your customers money. All right. Well, what you should be asking your customers is, hey, we strive to save you money. Are we doing so? Is it working? I mean, you can go out yourself and check to see necessarily if, your, if the price of your good or service is less than that of your competitors. That's pretty easy. That's empirical. You can go find that out for yourself. But when you ask your customers, are we living up to our brand promise of saving you money? That opens up insights that your customers may have, which is to say, yeah, yours is the cheapest, but the shipping method you use is incredibly expensive to us. Yeah, yours is the least expensive, but it takes yours as a subcomponent of something that we make and pass on to our customers. And the retooling it took to integrate yours cost us a lot of money. So no, you're not saving us money, right? You're saving us money. Yeah, sure. We recognize that the quality of your product might not be as high as your competitors who's promising quality or durability as opposed to, you know, uh, saving, saving money. But it's so cheap and so uh, uh, unreliable that we have to buy two of yours for every one that we would buy of your competitors. And so you're not saving us money. In fact, it costs us money. These are insights that you get from your customers. And if it's tied to your actual brand promise, if it's tied to the strategy behind which you're doing CX in the first place, well, then you can actually act on that right? And you're delivering, you, you can potentially deliver on that brand promise, right? So, 
customer effort score, for example, may make sense if your brand promises ease of use, <laughs> right? Um, so anyway, use your voice of the customer to actually do something. And then when it comes to the, the third, it's, it's, it's don't just rely on surveys. Get out there, walk in your customer's shoes, interview your customers, uh, go online and look at, what pe- look at how people are reviewing your, your, your uh, product or your service and your brand. What are three real strong recommendations you would give people? I think you just mentioned some of them, but maybe more specific on really getting at the voice of the customer. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say start off with, you know, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. Um, he's gotten a little cliche, but still certain things are cliche because they're accurate. Start with why. Understand why you're doing CX in the first place. Uh, and that will actually flow down to all the different parts of your VOC program. In fact, your entire CX program, if you understand why you're doing something in the first place, and if you're doing CX so that you can improve your revenue and improve your sales and, 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 and hit your bottom line, I'm not sure how to advise on that because I don't think that that's how it works. But if you agree with me that the whole purpose of doing CX is to advance your brand promise and to remove gaps that may exist between your customer's experiences and your brand promise, then use that as your guiding light. It'll drive your voice of the customer program. You can ask things like the brand alignment score. You can say, look, we, we strive and endeavor to be an on-time, always-ready brand. How are we doing? You get insights from your customers that are more specific to what it is that you're trying to develop. What's also valuable there is that your customers can give you insights that you might not consider, Right. So yeah, it's on time, but uh, it's a hassle for me to go down and get it. And it actually takes more time for me to go you know, pick it up or whatever, whatever it might be that you might not anticipate. Because if you think within your own box about your brand promise, you're, you could miss out on a broader context of your partners, your, you know, your logistics lines and, 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 and who delivers your product, uh, people that you partner with, you know, uh, you know, subcontractors and these sorts of things, depending on what your business model is. So when you are asking your customers questions about your VOC, you know, when you're, when you're ascertaining your insights from your VOC program, think beyond NPS and CSAT. Actually ask something that's meaningful based on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Second thing, and I mentioned this before, as you said, I, I, did, I, I have hit on a couple of these, and that's do something with it. Don't be an ask hole. <laughs> Actually take action based on what your customers are telling you. You wouldn't throw a dinner party and ask your, your guests, hey, do you, so do you have any you know, preferences or, or heaven forbid, do you have any allergies or something like that? And then just like, okay, great. And then delete the email, right? Like if you ask your customers what's going wrong, what you can do better, and then don't take any action, it's actually kind of insulting, right? Why would you waste their time, you know, with, uh, with, with that? Yeah, I've seen people love being able to give feedback, but then you acting upon it, they even love that even more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and follow up with them. It's, use that closed loop and, and say, hey, you know what? We really appreciate I mean, how great would it be? I mean, how many times you filled out a, a, a survey, Darshan, and you get like a month or two later, an email from somebody in, say, product development or whatever from that company and say, how, thanks so much, Darshan, for your feedback. We've actually implemented this thing. We've made this change to our product. We've, we've altered how we deliver our service thanks to your feedback. Uh, that'd be better than a Starbucks card any day, right? That's, that's better than, 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 than the $25 Amazon gift card that they give you for filling out the survey, right? And then uh, third, I'd say, as far as advice for, for, for 
for gaining uh, voice of the customer. And this I recommend to every client, to every potential client. Anytime I'm, 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 I'm asked, I say, walk in your customer's shoes. It's damn near free, especially compared to interviews and surveys and hiring Medallia or whoever to, you know, to do these things for you. Anybody can do it and you absolutely should be doing it. And it's even, I think it's even more valuable than survey data is to say, I never occurred to me that this step of this process is such a pain in the neck or that it actually, it doesn't really take this long for us to fulfill this. Let's get, you know, let's get on that. Right. Um, There's, there's no greater uh, education in the world than experience. Oh, absolutely. I want to go back for a second. uh, Something you mentioned a while ago in terms of the brand promise, how many of your clients actually come with you knowing their brand promise and how often do you have to actually help them, find their brand promise and how do you do that? You know what's you know what's interesting about that? That's such a great question, Darshan. Thanks so much for that because there is first of all, let me just say there there there's a, a corollary to the brand alignment approach. And that is that what if you knock out your brand promise? What if you like you're delivering on it? And you get like, I don't know, a hundred percent or whatever the great perfect number is on brand alignment score, right? And you're like we're not seeing any improvement <laughs> in our sales, but we're definitely delivering on it because all of our customers are saying, yes, you're definitely the high quality brand or whatever it is that, you know, that you're suggesting you are. Well, there's an opportunity to have a, a somewhat complicated, somewhat awkward, and certainly not very easy conversation. Do you know what? Maybe there's not a market for what we're trying to sell or how we're trying to sell or the niche we're trying to fill in the market. So let's consider you know, maybe retooling that. I've actually worked with some startups where I said, so what do you do? What's your brand promise? And we unpack, and, and, and by the way, when I, when I use the term brand promise, I'm talking about, uh, a, it's kind of a conglomeration of your mission, vision, your values, your principles, you know, what you're trying to, to deliver. And I know I'm not, I'm not inventing a term or anything like that. There's not a trademark on it or anything, but, but the idea being that what, what role are you trying to play in the lives of your customers, right? We want to make it easier for you. We want to take a burden away from you. We want to make something really cool for you, maybe, you know, whatever it might be. So we start with that. And a lot of times, especially with startups, it's like, well, you know, I made this awesome new mousetrap and I want to, you know, I want to deliver this, this cool new technology to the, to, to the world. I said, well, how are your customers using it? Oh, I don't know. I never asked. Okay. You go and see that they kind of like taking it apart a little bit and retooled it. And they're using this to do something different now. And that's a lot of times, especially for startups, that is a, a, a moment of, of choice. Do you love your invention so much? Do you love your business so much that your response to that is, no, 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 you're using it wrong. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Or is it, oh, you're using that to, to do this oh, well, I can actually make it do that even better. I didn't realize people might use my product or use my service in this way. But now knowing that that's how they do it and what they're trying to accomplish, the job they're trying to do, oh, I can, I could do that even better. I mean, you don't need to retool that. You don't need to, you know, disengineer and put it back together in a certain way. I can do that in your manufacturing facility, right? And I can make it even work, you know, work even better for you. So a lot of times, you can ask kind of open-ended questions in your VOC. That, How are you using this? How could I make this better? I think that there's a lot, when it comes to the voice of the customer, there's a lot of like snowflake hand-holding 
I see a lot of times in, in, in CX forums, like, well, how do you handle negative feedback? And how do you take the edge off negative? You know, how do you share negative feedback with the team? It's like, okay, that is really begging the questions. Like, no, the whole purpose of VOC is to solicit negative feedback. It's great to get a pat on the back. It's great when your customers love you. Don't get me wrong. But what are you going to do with that? right? When your customers say, you know, what sucks about your product or your service is this. Well, then you've got something to go on. Then you've got something that you can actually use. And quite frankly, Darshan, to your question, that's where you can identify that, you know what, there's really not that much of a niche in this market for a discount brand of, say, this technology we've created. Maybe the technology is like second generation from something Apple made, right? And it's new enough that there, that people consider the second generation to be a knockoff and they don't want the discount brand yet because it's still very clever and done so perfectly by, by Apple, say, for example, right? It's okay, well, then you've got to recognize that and you've got to listen to what your customers and what the market really is saying. There may be a, uh, a space for that in the market later on, but right now, in listening to your customers, realize, no, they're looking for the high quality. They're looking for that, that not second best to Apple, but just as good as Apple, maybe at a lower price or something like that. You know what? I think I'm hearing also, you're saying the brand promise. One, you should know your brand promise, but it's also not set in stone. It's going to change and evolve as you move along, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, you never know. And you have to be humble enough to recognize. I mean, like that's, that's what I said when you go in and, and this can be a long way around, as you've noticed already, I've done this several times, <laughs> long way around to answering your question, Darsh. Um, when people go into CX and want to quote unquote do CX so that they can improve their bottom line, they miss opportunities just like this, Darshan, because they say, we found this, this newest, shiniest object, this silver bullet that's going to that's gonna do it for us. I mean, just like TQM was going to be, just like Lean Six Sigma was supposed to be. And when it doesn't deliver that way, they miss out on that existential discussion about, you know what, maybe the market really, and it's not like we have to just, okay, close up shop and pay off all our loans and retire. You don't necessarily have to do that, but it's like, let's take that executive retreat and let's go and talk about, you know, why we're in this game and why we sell what we sell or why we provide the service that we do and what we're trying to deliver to our customers and have a fair conversation with ourselves to potentially come to find that, yeah, customers don't really want that. I mean, they want the thing. They want the widget maybe, but what they really want is an, is this exquisite experience. They don't want the discount brand, right? What they want might be this complete reliability and perfect quality. They don't want white glove, you know, treated like their, their royalty. They just want it always to be on. Okay, well, when you listen to your customers, uh, you can find that niche and you can develop your brand promise in the way, ideally, that, that, that ties also in with your own, you know, with your own priorities and your own values and principles as well. Yeah, I think what you're saying is a lot of times value uh, overrides just price and other factors and value is a component of many things, right? It's the price, the experience and everything is the total value that's being delivered. Yeah. We talked about startups and you've worked with startups and I'm curious, um, how much is this brand promise we talked about also related to getting the product market fit? Well, I mean, that's, that, that, that's kind of the key to it, right? Um, you've, got, you've invented the next coolest, awesomest, greatest app or whatever it might be. 
great. Nobody cares, right? <laughs> it doesn't do anything for anybody. So that, that that's awesome, you know. And 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 the thing is, you could be the the greatest, make or at least you think that you are the greatest, most customer centric entity and 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 business and organization in the world. But if you're not listening to a market that's telling you, yeah, nobody wants a luxury experience when it comes to this. They just want simple and easy to use. And like I said, always up, or maybe they just want it cheap, right? Nobody like, I, I don't want, if I'm doing work around the house, I don't need luxury washers. I need to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and grab a dozen of my bucket and, and, and pay for them by weight. It doesn't matter to me what the brand is. I just want them there. I want them high enough quality, but even if they're not that great quality, maybe I just want them cheap and, and, and accessible. Somebody comes along and says, we have the most exquisite washers that you could ever imagine. And it's like, okay, well, okay. Talk about misreading the room, right? I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a market for that out there, but that's the point. How are you asking your customers, right? How are you better understand? How are you understanding uh, how they're using your product, how they're, how they're leveraging your service? I want to talk, how did, what insights led you to write, we're doing CX wrong and how to get it right? It was, it was almost completely uh, self-serving. I got to tell you, Darshan, I, <laughs> I, uh, I had come out, like I said, I, I'd mentioned earlier, this is, the latest version of my of my consulting self. Uh, I've I've spent time, obviously in the military, still do spend plenty of plenty of time in the military uh, as a reservist, but also in and out of corporate America and and you know making my own way as as a consultant. And when I uh, left my most previous experience, I was I was a Fortune sixty uh, Fortune sixty uh, CX executive, and I said, well. I loved doing what I did there. And what I did there was actually build an entire CX organization. I mean, the, the, the parts of it existed already. And then they brought me in to leverage the, the process engineering. And I said, okay, well, here's how this would make sense to me. And that's the beauty of it. It's, and, and quite frankly, this goes, goes back to, to uh, entrepreneurs. When you don't know how you're not supposed to do it, it's amazing what you can get away with right? <laughs> to, to, to discover the things that we're talking about an aha moment, right? And um, I was just like, okay, well, here, here's what I think. I think you should listen to what your customers have to say. And then I think you should fix the things that they say need to be fixed. It's pretty straightforward and simple. So I, I did that. I built a, built a function that, that, that more or less did that internally. And when I left, and, and, and so I want to come back and, and, and do consulting again, I'd actually had to, I, I had to work in, in a different city. I'm like, well, I was kind of doing commuting. I was like, I wanted to come out. My, my partner's here. Home is here. We're in, we're in beautiful Colorado. And, and I had to work out of, out of, out of another place. I want to, it wasn't as fun as Colorado. It wasn't nice. Colorado. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm done being, I'm, I'm done doing the remote thing. It was fun jet setting, but I want to go home. Uh, and, and, and I said, do you know what I'd love to do is package the success and package the structure and the framework that I built there and sell that. And, and, and offer that and, and uh, leverage that experience and give other organizations the opportunity to build out their own CX function that's centered around customer insights, process engineering, acting on those insights. And then, of course, there's a, there's a, um, there's a cultural component as well. And 
I said, this is something that's sellable. This is something that's packageable. This is something that I, that I could explain to people and actually implement. And so I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to become a, a fractional chief customer officer. So I get out there and, 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 you know, I'm trying to pitch and, and I don't know if you were aware, but the last couple of years, there's been this thing with the economy that happened. And, uh, yeah, I think I noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I said, you know what, I, I gotta get, I gotta get the word out there. And so I, I figured, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of writing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm appearing on, on, on webinars. I'm speaking a lot. But you know what? I think I got to put it down in, in writing. So I wrote the book. and was intended mostly to be uh, kind of a, you know, a three-dimensional CV is basically what I call it. Potential clients, 90 pages. It's really easy. It reads, it reads as an answer to, so Z, if we hire you, what would you do? This is what I do. I deliver something like this uh, for you. And uh, I wanted to give it a little bit more depth. I wanted to give it a little bit more context. Like, why would, why would I care to, to read this? And plus, I wanted it to be more than five pages long. So <laughs> I wrote about <laughs> what leads somebody or what might lead somebody to recognizing that there's a better and smarter and more strategic way to do CX. And it's kind of... a not so much a collection of stories as much as just uh, a compilation of experiences that I had as I, as I was looking around the CX you know, world where so many people were doing so many things that made to me no sense. Like, why do you ask people whether they'd recommend your product or service to their friends? Well, that doesn't make any, why? Unless that's part of your actual marketing you know, word of mouth program, which is like, okay, well, that makes sense. That, that, that's good. But otherwise, why, why do you do that? Why do you ask questions, like I said, ask questions of your customers and do nothing other than put it on a line graph, you know, put it, you know, put it on a, a dot on, on a chart every month. Why are you not acting on it? Right. Why are you just putting up banners all over the, all over the contact center, for example, say we love our customers and, and you have to, you know, put your customers at the front or in the center or at the top or wherever, you know, locationally on, on, on your graphics, you want to put it. Why is that the extent of CX culture? And so I came up with the, I came to the conclusion that people are just doing it for the wrong reason. And so that's kind of like, that's kind of how the, how the, how the book flows as well. Well, actually it's, it, it's in writing. So it's, it flows better than, than when I talk. <laughs> you know, we talk about this term CX and I'm wondering if it should also be amended to say CX slash EE employee empowerment. And is that what you're really also talking about when you're talking about the culture? Cause yeah. uh, you know, we, we talk about this term culture versus system or process. And I, and I think you're getting at a deeper meaning with culture. Are you not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Darshan, I, uh, you know, being, being the military guy, being the analytical, analytical guy, uh, culture was always tricky for me. I'm like, oh, I try to be a good boss. You know, I try to, <laughs> you know, listen, but how do you, I, I needed something that I can put on my knee board. I need something that I can like, okay, check, 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 check. I've done culture. It's like, well, how do you do something like that? Right. So, I, I thought about the banners and the t-shirts and the, and the, and the mouse pads that say we heart our customer. And I think that absolutely can't be it. But when I thought about things like employee engagement and employee empowerment and so forth, I thought there's gotta be something more actionable than just simply being good to your employees in the same way that there's gotta be something more actionable than be good to your customers. And what I realized was that there are incredible efficiencies that can be realized if you empower and enable your employees. So even if you're not a good person, 
<laughs> so I don't know how to put it. But even if you're a horrible boss and you're not good to your people, it just makes efficient sense to enable and empower them to, and, and actually that, that became part of the framework. In fact, within culture, I have what I call the three E's, enablement, empowerment, and encouragement. Enablement means making sure that your employees have the tools that they need to take care of delivering your brand promise on behalf of your brand to your customers. Empowerment means that your employees don't have to escalate every time they need to you know, offer a, a refund or fulfill an obligation or deliver on, on, on your promise. That you don't have to escalate that every time. And the third and the third E is encouragement. And sure, that's banners and t-shirts and mouse pads and all this stuff, but it's also showing that you're that you're walking the talk, right? When you listen to your customers through your customer insights program and then deliberately act strategically on those things that your customers are telling you, your team will recognize that. Your team will see that. And when you put that money where your mouth is, when you act on that, you're setting an example. That's encouragement. So much more than like CX Day and so much more than throwing parties and, and you know, kegs of beer in the break room and, and, and T-shirts and so forth. That's your encouragement. But back to that, you, you had talked about uh, employee uh, empowerment, right? And, and, and enablement. That's really the key to it. Even if you don't want to be a... a, a touchy feely, you know, we're on a sitcom and I know where my employees live and we socialize together type of a type of nonsense. Uh, it still makes good sense because it saves your customers time. It saves your customers frustration. If your employees have full access, I mean, how many times you've been on the, on a, on the, on the phone with somebody in a contact center and the person on the phone says, Oh yeah, my computer's just running so slow today. Oh, it's hung up again today. Like, well, why are you not em enabling your employees to actually deliver on your brand promise, right? And then how often do you have to be, do you, do you have to ask for an escalation? How often do you get on the phone with, with somebody and, okay, well, hold on, I have to get my supervisor to approve this, right? No, it saves money. You're, you're, when you enable and you empower your employees, they can get onto that next call. They can get onto that next thing. It makes good, efficient sense. So even if you're not, like I said, even if you don't want to do it just because you're a good person, but by the way, be, you know, be a good person too. <laughs> that still helps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, does, it certainly doesn't hurt. Do you have an example of a company that implemented the three E's you're talking about and how that really made a significant impact? Yeah, yeah, we're doing it right now with 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 a couple of my clients. In fact, in the in the tech uh, uh, space, and it uh, we're, we're slowly identifying those things. It's 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 a bit of a cultural shift, right? But what we've done is we kind of implemented something similar to voice of the customer, customer insights, and then process engineering to act on those. Your HR department and this this organization has has some HR folks. It's not that huge. So they don't necessarily have a whole you know HR department, but they were conducting uh, employee engagement surveys and asking and pulse you know pulse surveys and so forth. A lot of times, it's just a matter of well, what are you acting? What are you doing? Right. A lot of times, especially if it's if it's a small organization like this, was look at your employee engagement responses say, okay, we're doing great. Or, okay, there's something personally that I can do. Oh, I come off as overbearing, right? And I'm not talking about this client <laughs> in particular, but, oh, I come off as overbearing or I come off as aloof or whatever. So I'm going to try on that. That's good. I mean, that's great action, but let's 
actually look into the business and the processes and things that are going on. So we did. Okay. Well, this is where our employees are getting hung up. This is where it's an aggravation for them. And again, it's not just about simply being a good boss and, 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 and allowing your customers the tools so that their lives are easier. It actually makes things go faster and makes things go better. Now, we're still in the process of the implementing and so forth. So it's not, I mean, I don't have, I don't have a conclusion for you yet, but it's definitely easy to see how these improvements would improve, not just those employees' experiences, right, and, and their engagement, their work, but also follow on and flow on to save a customer's time and aggravation as well. You mentioned COVID uh, earlier, and I'm curious, what impact Wait, has... what? What's this? <laughs> COVID? Oh, sorry. It's COVID-19. That's right. Uh, uh, COVID-19, frankly. <laughs> what impact has that had on CX and becoming customer-centric? I, you know what? I'm not so sure. I, I, I don't know that I get caught up in, you know, COVID changed everything, and here we are in a new world, because I think that their disruption happens. Right. And one of the things that I've always said well before this, when there was a dot com boom, when there was a housing collapse or, you know, the real estate market recession and all this, there's always something that's coming. And those organizations that are true to their values, those organizations that can articulate why they're in business can make it work. Right. And when you can't get together anymore, when you can't be in other people's presence anymore, well, that makes certain types of business really hard to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's those companies. And, and, and don't ask me for an example, because I can't think of one right now. <laughs> but those companies that say, you know, what we do for our for our clients or for our customers, the place we intend to hold in their lives. Our brand promise is this, right? We, we make things easier. We make things cheaper. We make things faster. We make things more luxurious and a greater experience. When you throw a wrench into how they do business that just throws everything offline, those companies that really truly believe in whatever that brand promise is are more in a position to be able to say, okay. Shit's totally different now. <laughs> How would we deliver that? Not that explicit, same exact experience. How would we deliver on that brand promise if everything was locked down or if there was a horrible disease floating around that was, that was killing a lot of people and so nobody got together anymore, right? Things like restaurants, well, that's a tough thing to do, but, wh but what's the brand promise in your restaurant? The brand promise in our restaurant is, is that, is that uh, it's, it's food that's, that's like home. Okay, well, now suddenly people can't come into your really cool homey restaurant anymore. How do you deliver a home feeling when, you have, when, when all you can do is just deliver to people's houses and when you can't have people come to your own restaurant, right? Okay, that's losing control of a lot of that homey experience that you're normally trying to deliver to your customers. But can you still do that in, you know, with, with the kid that you the hire to deliver the food? Probably. But if all you're thinking of is, oh, no, we, we don't have a restaurant now, so we can't deliver that homey feeling in, in, our, in our restaurant anymore. Okay, well, then I guess you're up a creek and you got nothing you can do. Right. But if you concentrate on what that brand promises, you say, OK, in this new world, in this new way that things are, how 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 would we make that experience 
real to our customers if this was the only way that, that we can do it. And at that time, it was the only way you could do it. So it sounds like there's a greater emphasis uh, that's shifted to voice of customer now as well because of all these changes and, um, you know, you can't deliver experience in person as much. I think, yeah. And, and, you know, Darshan, I think that the reason that might be even more valuable is because since everything is different with the disruption, you really have to listen to your customers. Your customers should tell you, you know, your brand promises this, this is how it usually is. I understand there's a pandemic and so you can't deliver it the same way that you used to deliver it. But here's what we're missing, right? Here's what, here's what doesn't feel the same way anymore that maybe you can find a way, right? Yeah. I think with any disruption, there's always challenges, but there's also opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and an opportunity to, to stand out. Yeah. So I'm curious, what trends or factors do you see influencing CX or even employee empowerment uh, moving forward? Well, I think, that, I think that there are a lot of different sources for voice of the customer anymore. And it, um, I really, I'm dying to work with some SaaS companies because I have this theory in my head that SaaS companies have all the information that they would ever need. You got that, you know, uh, forget first party, it's zero party. It's all I have to do is monitor, obviously respecting privacy and, and, and not being creepy about it. But it's like, if you have customers that are logging into your systems on a regular basis, you should be able to tell when their use drops off. You should be able to tell when they start doing things differently or, or searching around for something that, that they're trying to accomplish, right? I think that a lot of these new technologies should lend brands all sorts of ways to, again, in a non-creepy way, ascertain what it is their customers are trying to accomplish, right? At the same time, I think that sometimes those, you know, those AI opportunities and those, those uh, technological uh, breakthroughs about understanding and crunching numbers can give us an opportunity to lose track of what it is that we're trying to accomplish in the first place. Right. And so much of that turns into, well, how can we market differently? How can we, you know, corner this or that part of the market uh, differently rather than simply how can we deliver to our customers what it is that they're looking to to accomplish? How can we deliver to customers what our brand promises? So uh, it's not necessarily I don't think going to turn into a dystopian science fiction movie or anything like that. Not that we're not there already, but uh, <laughs> But I, I think that, that that's an opportunity, as you said, there's an opportunity to, to leverage that wisely, but there's also an opportunity to lean too much on it and to lose track of the whole reason that anybody's in business in the first place. So who in the world of customer CX would you love to have lunch with and why? Probably, wow. Do you know, so many people in the world of, of CX that, that I actually know I've never met <laughs> because I, I've met them over the last couple of years. A lot of them, um, folks like folks like Dan Gingas, who, who he, he wrote the, the, the forward. And in fact, he's just out with a, with a, with a book recently himself, uh, guys like, uh, uh, Nate Brown, good friend. Actually, I have met him in person before, before, you know, the balloon went up there. Um, uh, Nick Glimsdahl, uh, Jeremy Watkin, you've got um, Rick Denton. These are people, a lot of whom I do know, <laughs> talk to all the time, but it would be great to physically get, uh, get sat down. And plus uh, they have a reason to come to Denver. Actually, I just recently had a conversation with Dan Gingas and uh, it was really a good conversation. And that episode is going to be coming out as well. Uh, ah. and, uh, soon. So, yeah, uh, we'll see if he makes it out before I do. 
<laughs> do mine first. I do not want to have to follow Dan. <laughs> <laughs> we won't do them side by side. How's that? <laughs> ah, oh, there you go. You have us both on. Maybe have us to lunch. There we go. There we go. We can yeah. do it. We can do a three-way uh, interview next time. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you very much uh, for talking to us and helping us getting it right about CX. Uh, I really appreciate all the valuable insights and information you provided us today. It's my pleasure, Darshan. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Have a good day. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>